So today is part four and the final one in planning for emergencies. Uh, there's been so many other things that I've learned along the way uh, about how we plan for what's next in life, the troubles and the situations, but uh, time doesn't allow for me to share all that with you, but I tell you, if you open the Bible and start reading it, God's going to share that with you as well about how do you plan for what is not known, what is not seen, but surely is coming. It's like the time that I called a, a retired Nazarene pastor who'd become a lawyer, and I, asked, I said to him, I said, I'd like to speak to you um, about the unexpected. And he said, well, if you're talking about death, it's not unexpected. Everybody dies. And so we can sit down and we can make a will. And so that was something that was a great reminder that it may, we may say it's unexpected because in our mind we hadn't formulated that this would happen or that would happen, but Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we've talked about that we respond by faith, we respond by thanksgiving, and we respond by holiness. Today we're going to talk about that we need to respond and plan to respond with victory. So uh, this is a true story. I would have loved to have been there. I think it would have been kind of interesting and a little bit humorous. But Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin was packed. It was probably ridiculously cold because everything up there is cold. But it was packed. There were over 60,000 University of Wisconsin fans watching their beloved football team uh, take a beating. Michigan State was just pounding them. It was, it was miserable and, and terrible. Uh, but what was odd was that it seemed like every time that University of Michigan would score another touchdown, put up another set of points on the board, then the fans of the Wisconsin team would cheer. It happened again and again, and it seemed like the more that the team got beat, the more that the Wisconsin fans would cheer, and nobody could figure out what in the world was going on. It actually got to the place where some of the fans were looking around at these fans who were obviously Wisconsin fans, and they're cheering when their team is losing. As people started noticing, <clears throat> a number of them had these little black wires connected to a little ear and they were listening to a different game up the road because at that very moment the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in game three of the World Series. They went to the one football game but they were listening to the World Series game and they were cheering for a game that the people couldn't see on the field in front of them. And this is a tremendous lesson for all of us because we may be cheering and celebrating the victory that we can't see yet on the field in front of us because it's taking place in heavenly places and God's bringing it to pass where one day we'll see clearly face to face and everything that's happened. But sometimes people look at us a little funny when we're acting as if we have the victory and it sure looks like we're losing. So I'm going to give you a uh, top 10. I used to watch David Letterman's top 10 a lot. And uh, so I'm going to give you the top 10 ways to ensure defeat. I thought that might be a great way to backwards look at victory before we got into the message too far. So top 10 ways to ensure defeat 
uh, stress, anxiety, frustration, you name it. Uh, number one, always uh, leave and arrive late. If you just plan on that, you're going to be defeated and frazzled and frustrated, and, and that's a great way to overcome your you know, victory. Uh, number two, never ever go to bed on time. Stay up until your eyes are bloodshot and uh, watch the late show and the late, late show, and then the infomercials. You know, definitely take those in because those are $19.99 and wait there's a little bit more, right? Okay, so number three, uh, always eat poorly. Uh, the Lord helped me this morning. I made a better decision for breakfast than I typically do on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is like my free day. I figure on Sunday morning it's okay if I have a donut or a muffin or like for the last month a, a, a cupcake. And this morning I didn't. The Lord helped me because, you know, I was sharing the top ten ways to ensure defeat. I thought I better eat a little better. So, so always eat poorly if you want to ensure defeat. Uh, number four, don't work hard. If you work too hard, I mean, you might actually get somewhere, get some traction. Uh, number five, <clears throat> this one, America, we have a beautiful precedent that's been set for us by the uh, American government, and they're just doing better and better all the time. Always spend more than you make. Uh, and if you'll spend more than you make, I can assure you, you will be defeated and frustrated and in debt to your eyeballs, and uh, maybe bankruptcy will help you. Uh, the government is showing us, you know, how many trillions of dollars we can uh, indebt ourselves in. Uh, number six, always seek yourself first. So just, uh, just kind of keep looking at you. Me, me, me. If you ever watched Hook, uh, Peter Pan, when he was grown up, the movie Hook, and uh, Captain Hook says, me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. That's a great mantra for defeat. Uh, if you want that, follow that logic and uh, see what happens. Number seven, uh, never seek God in his will. Just don't do it. Uh, there's other things you can be doing. You know, there's horoscopes out there, and, uh, uh, and there's psychics, and, and just don't seek God in his will. You'll get defeat. Number eight, don't try to help your fellow man. Number nine, this one is one that we are often guilty of. Hold on to bitterness and seek revenge. All right? Uh, let me tell you, road rage stories are, are, wow, way too many these days. And number ten, live only for today and comfort and pleasure and ignore eternity. It's a, it's a successful way to do it. Matter of fact, if you write all ten of those down and, and turn it around, do the exact opposite, then you've got the rest of the sermon and we can go home. All right, so that was like the world's fastest. No, um, I, I just want us to think about the fact, how many times do we plan to be defeated? One of the themes of this whole series has been that we are sometimes uh, prophets of doom, and then we work very diligently to make sure that we are self-fulfilling prophets of the things that we say are going to happen in our lives. If this happens, then I'm going to do this, and if this happens, then she's going to do that, and if this happens, then... How many times do we plan to be defeated? Like, for instance, when we hear in our own mind, well, I know what's going to happen. Uh, I, it's always this way. Nothing ever seems to work out for me. And one of my favorites that we pass along as if it's a word of wisdom to give to the next generation is, all good things must come to an end. Well, aren't you a little, you know, party pooper? That I think we're planning to be defeated in that kind of a, a mindset, in that kind of a perspective. And let's look at Jesus' life, and this is where it begins to turn for us, and we start to take a different perspective. Did, did Jesus ever say to himself, I and mean, we've got four Gospels that record a number of things that he said and did, did he ever say, boy, I sure hope this works out, it's not looking so good for me? Now, I've, I've read it 
it's not in there, just in case you were wondering. Also, Jesus never said, I just don't think it's possible. I might as well give up now or I quit. And Jesus said it's the perfect example of how to trust in the Father's way, in the Father's ability, in the Father's wisdom, and Jesus never said those things. One of my Uh, One of the things that I found as I was studying for this message is a a phrase that's repeated at least four times in the Old Testament, I think four or five times, it's beautiful, is the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord brought about a great victory. So instead of working on the top ten ways to ensure defeat, then we're going to work on receiving from the Lord a great victory. One more story, and that will help us to see kind of what this looks like in terms of the Bible and everyday life. Um, story is told of this man who was actually in seminary, and at seminary, he was walking into the gymnasium to shoot some hoops, and he saw uh, the custodian of the seminary sitting there on the bleachers reading his Bible. He was like, hey, okay, so he went up and he talked to him, and he says, uh, hey, what are you reading? And he said, Revelation. He said, wow, you understand that? And he said, well, actually, I do understand it. He says, Please tell me, what does Revelation say? I want to understand what it means. And he said, well, pretty much this is it. It means, in the end, Jesus wins. And the man said that when he left seminary, he thought that was probably the best and most profound and and just the best description of what the Bible is. Jesus wins. And so we're going to talk about the victory that's available to us in Christ Jesus today because there is a lot. Lord, we come to you, we pray that you would help us to understand the victory, to to celebrate that you are the victor, and that the victory is already yours, and it is available to us as children of the King, and that you have promised to, to make us to be more than conquerors. Help us, Lord, to believe this. Help us to receive it, Lord. Help us to to act as if we are on the winning side, regardless of what the world does, what our feelings say, may we walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8.37, beautiful scripture. Paul's talking about all the troubles that come in this life, and famine, and hardship, and, and if he was writing today, he could have said, and car accidents, and, uh, and whatever. He could have listed all these things. He then goes on and he says, but in all this trouble, we overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus who loved us. Overwhelmingly conquer, not a little bit, but a lot, all the way to the end. And Revelation reminds us that the way that you and I overcome is by the blood of Jesus, it is finished. And the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony means more than than some kind of a name it, claim it. It means that we're saying, I was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus took my place, and then he came and he lived in me and he changed me and he took away my heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh, one that's beating and that's full of love and compassion and the tenderness of the Father. And so that's what we know victory means. Jesus paid the price and we've accepted the price that has been paid. I love in 2 Samuel, uh, David was always in these different battles with the Philistines and the, and the enemies of the people of God. And it actually says that David had victory everywhere that he went. 
That's a pretty good thing for me. I would like to have victory everywhere that I go. Sometimes I think to myself, man, can I lose one more time in this life? Can it really heap up one more time? And yet in Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. And in Christ, we can have victory everywhere that we go. So point number one, the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. So beautiful scripture. I want to read it to you in uh, Second Chronicles. And so Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is what it says. In the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear Do not be dismayed because of this great multitude, the army that's coming against you. For the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up the ascent. You will find them at the end of the valley. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. How many of us have a hard time standing there and letting the Lord deliver us when we could be doing something? I could be helping. I could go out and I could do my part, Lord, and and after all, I've got this intellect or I've got this strength or I've got this talent, so Lord, let me help. And he says, no, you don't need to go out and do that. I'm going to handle it. You do need to go out and stand firm. Now, here's the part that's really bewildering. Honestly, for us, I think it makes a nice Bible story. And we have a hard time relating if it was everyday life. So let's just put it in everyday life terms. So what if we have a general in the U.S. Army who gathers all of his troops together and he says, what we're going to do tomorrow is in Afghanistan or in Iraq or in Syria, whatever it is, we're going to go stand in the middle of the field and we're going to start singing praises to Yahweh, the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's all we're going to do. Uh, You can have your uniform on, uh, but you don't need to have your weapons. You don't need to have any defenses. You don't need to have air support. You don't have to have tanks. All you have to do is go stand in the middle of the field, and ISIS will be defeated. You just have to sing praises to Yahweh. Right? Okay, so we would probably lock up that general pretty quick. And we would say, you have no idea what you're talking about. We will be defeated. We'll be killed. We'll be slaughtered. We'll be a laughingstock. But chapter 20 says, verse 20, They rose early in the morning. They went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army. And they sang to the Lord. And they looked around, and the enemy was defeated, and they even slaughtered themselves and defeated themselves, and all they had to do was stand there and sing praise to the Lord. I was reading this scripture one time. As I was reading it, God said, This is my command to you. In this scenario in your life, I had somebody at that point who didn't like me very much, indicated that if she had her gun, she would have liked to have killed me. Um, Sometimes employee-employer relationships are kind of rough. So I thought, well, okay, let's see what happens with this. And I didn't know what to do, and so I consulted someone, and uh, a mentor of mine, and I thought, well, what do I do? And so as the employer, I'm keeping track of different things, and 
God said, do nothing. Pray and stand firm. But God, you know, due diligence and covering my bases and doing all the things that I should do. Pray and stand firm. And within a week, it resolved itself. The Lord took care of that matter. And it was no longer an issue for me to worry about. I didn't raise my voice. I didn't raise my hand. I didn't follow any protocols. I didn't read any leadership books. I didn't go through and do this, that, and the other. I prayed, and within a week, it was resolved, and the Lord handled it all. And he said, see, I told you, the battle is not yours. It is mine. So point number one, the battle, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. He fights to defend us. He fights to protect us. He fights to deliver us. Deuteronomy 20 verse 4 says, The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Now, I feel like I need to give this one little qualifier, and that is that the Lord fights for his children to give them victory in the things that are holy and true. It's not like we can just say, well, we've got this big strong guy and he does what I want and when I want and, and how I want and he's going he's gonna to do everything for me the way that I want to have the victory. No, he's going to do it according to what's holy, what's loving, what's true, what's kind, what's eternal. So if we align ourselves with him, then we recognize, he says, you don't even have to fight the battle. I, I'll take care of it. Psalm 60 verse 2, with God we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. All right, so uh, point number two, the Lord wins every battle. Now, when you start thinking about that, you might start saying, now wait a minute, I have seen some battles that it sure, I don't think the Lord, I mean, he's going to win the war. We get that. And when it's all said and done, but did he win that battle? Yes. The Lord wins every battle, every skirmish, every encounter, because here's the thing. God is always working through what is eternal and what is holy. And so he wins every single one because the enemy may try to undercut. The enemy might try to to betray or come back around and and do some kind of an entrapment. And yet God is going to do what is holy, what is faithful, what is true, what is kind, what is eternal. Every time he wins every single battle. And when we get to the perspective of eternity where we can look back upon the pages of time and history, we'll realize, oh, it, it looked like God didn't win that one, but he really did, didn't he? It looked like God didn't win that one, but he really did. It's like Joseph's life. I love Joseph's life. Because Joseph's life gives me a brand new perspective on all the stuff in my life. Somebody asked me about 10 years ago, they said, when Joseph was thrown into a pit, was that good or bad? And I said, well, that's pretty bad. I mean, it was his own brothers that threw him into the pit, and he's laying there, and I'm sure it didn't feel good, and then he felt the betrayal and the physical, yeah, that's bad. And then the person who was telling me this said, but remember, if they hadn't thrown him into the pit, they were going to kill him. Well, with that perspective, I guess being in a pit's better than dead. So, okay, all right, so it was good. And then they said, well, but then because he was in the pit and they didn't kill him, then they went ahead and they pulled him up and they sold him into slavery. So was it good or bad? Well, it's probably a bad thing to be in slavery. That's nothing I want to experience. I've seen this on movies, and I've read it in books, and it seems miserable, and it seems just so oppressive and, and demoralizing. And, but because he was sold into slavery, then he actually gets to Egypt, and he's 
Well, now he's promoted to be the leader of Potiphar's household, and now he's in charge of all of this wealth and all of these different things, and so is that good or bad? Well, absolutely, that's great. Well, except that Potiphar's wife is there, and she's kind of a troublemaker, and so she falsely accuses him, and then he goes to jail. So is that good or bad? Well, of course that's bad. Who wants to go to jail? Except that in jail, he meets the baker, right? And he meets the cupbearer, and is that a good or bad thing? Well, I don't know. They get out of prison. One of them does. The other one loses his head. But he's left in prison to rot. So what good did it do for him to meet the two guys in jail? Well, because one of them remembers a year later and he tells the king and then he's delivered out and now he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. So when you say, well, I don't think God won this battle, let's look back at Joseph's life and determine was it good or bad? Joseph himself summed summed it up at the end of Genesis when he says what was intended for evil, God has used for good. And we can look at all kinds of things and say, that was bad, that was good, that was bad, that was good. Here's the thing, if you align yourself with God and his purposes, everything in your life is going to be good. It's going to be good for eternity, it's going to be good for his glory, it's going to be good for you and for me. Now that's easy to say in a sermon or in some kind of a poetic stance where we're like, yeah, it's all going to be good. It's not so easy when it's cancer or car accident, right? It's not so easy when it's a broken bone or a bankruptcy. It's not so easy, and yet God says, it's going to be good. You let me have it. I win the battle, and I win the war. So the Lord wins every battle, Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this coming from Edom with his garment stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength, it is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. God brings forth the victory. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this victory that God brings in every battle and in the whole war, in the whole encounter, and that is that it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wins every battle. I want to be on the winning side. Number three, this is the outcome for the enemy. This is really good news. It's harsh news. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. This isn't about some person that when you hear me share these scriptures that you're like, oh man, I'm so glad that so-and-so at work is going to have this coming to them. No, this is about powers and principalities. It's about demons and the devil and those who would align with him. As a matter of fact, it breaks my heart. It grieves me when, when I think about sometimes the, the malice that we think towards our own enemies when Jesus said to us that we're supposed to pray for them and bless them that persecute us and pray for them that God would do something. But here's this is the outcome for the enemy, the one who would ultimately align themselves against God and all of his righteous, holy purposes. Number one, the outcome for the enemy is our enemy is disarmed. And this has already happened, by the way. He's disarmed, and I want to give you two scriptures to help you understand that. One is in Isaiah 54, and God's talking about in Isaiah, the latter part of Isaiah, the kingdom of God that's coming to earth. This is what he says. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their vindication, their defense is from me, declares the Lord. 
So that means that the enemy can raise up weapons against you. He can accuse you. He can send fiery darts at you. And yet they're not going to prosper. They're not going to prevail. They're not going to overcome. Because you're on God's side, the winning side, right? And then the second one I want you to hear is from Colossians 2.15. And it's all about how the fact that the cross brought to us this victory and the disarming of our enemies. Colossians 2.15. And Christ, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's... The, the Lord has done this mighty and great and astounding and beautiful thing, and He is greater by, for, by far, and He is more majestic, and He is more powerful. <clears throat> and I don't mean to, to trivialize this, but, but one movie that I watched, that I've watched many, many times, is The, the Princess Bride. And in The Princess Bride, there's Andre the Giant, who's there. Uh, I think Fezzik is what he goes by. But anyway, he's like seven foot something, and... 450 pounds, and coming up against him is the dread pirate Roberts, who is probably my size, maybe smaller than me, and these two guys are fighting. And, and there is Andre the Giant, and the other guy is grabbing a hold of his waist, and he's doing this, and Andre the Giant looks down at him, he's like, you feel like you're doing a good job? You know, I mean, this is supposed to be a fight to the death and all this kind of stuff. You feel like you're doing a good job? I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. I mean, I guess you're trying the best that you can. And, and it's a picture for us about the enemy trying to come and gain any ground, any advantage, any foothold against God, where God can simply look down and, and really, is that what you've got? Against me, against my beloved, you've got nothing. I'm stronger, I'm mightier, I'm greater by far, and all of your efforts are in vain. It's lopsided, the matchup. There is no comparison. The Lord wins every battle, and the outcome for the enemy is that our enemy is disarmed, number one. Number two, our enemy is defeated. Revelations 20, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning fire, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The enemy is disarmed, and the enemy is defeated. So I heard a pastor of mine, a pastor friend of mine, he actually was my professor, he's now a president of college, and he said, <clears throat> he said he was preaching one time on spiritual warfare. And... Uh, in that spiritual warfare, he's talking about the demons and, and their attacks and the angels who are defending and protecting and their messengers that are there to uh, help God's people. And, and then he was talking about being on guard and standing your guard. And then his wife liked to mess with him. And so at night before they go to bed, occasionally she just make little weird, hideous noises, like trying to make him creepy crawly or something. And so she's making these noises and he would say, honey, cut that out, you know. And one night, <coughs> he heard that particular shrieking, and, and I'm not even going to try to imitate it, but he heard this shrieking, and he looked at his wife. He's like, honey, we've talked about that. It's, it's not that funny anymore. Just, she's like, I, I didn't do that. He said, what do you mean you didn't do that? There's nobody else in the house. And he shared with us in the room that day, he said, at that moment I realized that there was actually a spiritual attack, that, that, that the spiritual forces of wickedness were mad at me, for preparing God's people to defend the kingdom in the name of God, and they were coming after me. And so we're on the edge of our seats, and we're leaning in a little closer, and we're like, what did you do? He said, I rolled over and went back to bed. 
They have no power over me. They're defeated already. They cannot do anything to harm me. They can try to mess with my mind all they want, but they cannot defeat me. And think about this. We have the mind of Christ. We have the heart of Christ. And then we have the shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. He rolled over and went back to seat sleep because the the battle has already been won the victory is already the lord's i love the fact that scripture says multiple times that all of god's enemies will be made a footstool for his feet it's just gonna kick your feet up and relax because every one of them's defeated god's doing that for your enemies if you're aligned with him he's going to do that now here's the beautiful part This is a whole sermon all to itself, so let's see how quickly I can go through it. Just this one point. This is the outcome for God's children. There are seven things that God promises in the book of Revelation to you and to me if we will align ourselves with him and let him not only win the battle of, you know, a bad attitude today or a, a frustrating circumstance tomorrow or an annoying person the next day, but the bigger picture, the eternal picture of sin and guilt and shame and eternal punishment and darkness These are seven things that God promises to his children if we will come to him and say, God, you be victorious. I align myself with you. So number one is that he says, I'm going to give you the tree of life. Okay, so this is Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, who has the victory, I will give them to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, you get to live forever. You get the tree of life that will sustain you, that will nourish you, that will bless you, and forever and forever and forever you will have this life flowing within you. Number two is that you will not be hurt by the second death. And this is Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has victory, he who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. I prayed to be saved about a thousand and one times because I was terrified of hell. Because hell is a horrible thing to imagine. Separation from God, separation from love and light and all that is joyful and all that is peaceful, not for a moment, but forever and ever and ever. It terrified me. Until I went to the altar one time and I said, God, I'm so tired of this wrestling of Me and you and who's in charge, God, I want you to have all of it. I give you all of it. Just take over. You can call every shot in my life. You can determine where I'm going, what I'm doing. Lord, you can have it all. And then in that moment, he gave me this assurance that I would not be hurt by the second death. I would not go to this place of separation of hell. And I've had this beautiful peace that he's given to me. I know I've grieved his spirit since then. I know I've hurt him. I know I've hurt other people. I haven't lived a perfect life, but he's given me a peace. I don't have to be afraid of hell. You don't have to be either because you're not hurt by the second death if you receive the victory of Jesus Christ. Number three, you get a new name. So Revelation 2.17, to him who has the victory, who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, that which nourishes us. I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So God's going to give you a new name. Like the old hymn says, written down in glory, and it's mine. 
Yes, it's mine. Number four, power over the nations. We get to rule and reign with him with power over all the nations. We don't understand all that that means, but this is what it says. He who overcomes keeps my works until the end. I will give power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. They will be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I have received also from my father, and I will give him the morning star. So, We get the tree of life, number one. Number two, we're not hurt by the second death. Number three, we get a new name. Number four, we have power over nations to rule and reign with him. Number five, we get white garments and our names in the book of life. And white garments is righteousness, purity. I think the things that I like the least about myself over my lifetime has been guilt, shame, or impurity in my life. And he says, I'll take all all of that, and I'll wrap you in robes of righteousness, and I'll put my righteousness within. And this is what it says. He who overcomes, who receives my victory, who stands firm to the end, shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So God's going to tell, Jesus is going to tell the Father your name and your story and invite you to come in. And then number six This is awesome. You get to be a pillar in the temple of God. You do. A pillar in the temple of God. We know when we read the book of Acts, it talks about the pillars of the church. You know, Peter, James, and John. Wow, these guys are like the the heroes of the faith. These are the ones that the church was built upon. You get to be the pillars of the, the house of God. Right? God may be calling some of you... To, to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be evangelists, to be Sunday school teachers and board members and servants and leaders here on earth. But he says, for all of eternity, I will make you into a pillar in the temple of God. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. He'll write God's name on you. In other words, you belong to him. You're his. And then number seven, this is awesome. You and I, if we receive God's victory, we get to sit with Jesus on his throne. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. And then at the end of Revelation, God sums it all up. Jesus says these things, those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Now that ought to get you pretty excited that, that you know what, <clears throat> tax time on April 15th, 2019 doesn't matter. If I had to pay extra money or if I didn't know what to do or if I filed it wrong, it doesn't matter. If I got a pink slip at work, it doesn't matter because if I hold fast to Jesus and his words, I will have eternal victory and these seven blessings of victory forever and forever and forever and forever. We've got to be reminded that we are looking to the eternal perspective of this, not the temporary. A man said that he went to Switzerland one time. While in Switzerland, he saw a bald eagle, beautiful, majestic creature. But the bald eagle had a chain around its leg, and it was chained to a rock. And that chain was about 30 feet in length. And the bald eagle could fly up about 30 feet and then just do these little circles. And that was it. His growth was stunted, his strength was stunted, and what he was intended to do soar majestically above everything was not possible because he was tethered down to something on this earth. 
Christians, we are often tethered down by fear, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness in our hearts. We're tethered down by wanting to get ahead in work and, and just getting our own uh, success story and American dream and prosperity. When God says, I want to set you free to live in the heights and fly above it all with the victory of the eternal perspective and the eternal glory of God at work in us. Where scripture says that, you know what, these light and momentary troubles you've got, they're going to work this beautiful, far-reaching glory that far outweighs the temporary. So here's how we must live in closing. This is how you and I as Christians need to live in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Three things. Number one, we've got to endure to the end. Persevere. Press on. Don't give up. Don't give in in the ways of Christ. Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. You'll walk in the victory of Jesus Christ. You've got to keep persevering. I've said it. You've said it. Some, at some point, you probably heard it in Sunday school or wherever. It's like, you know what? Sometimes being a Christian is hard. And it is. Because we're persevering in things that other people don't get and they don't understand. And yet Christ says, I'll give you the victory both now and forever. Persevere. Uh, number two, what are we supposed to do right now? Psalm 149 says, The Lord takes delight in his people and he crowns the humble with victory. If you want to have victory today and tomorrow and the next day this week, you've got to be humble. Not proud, not know-it-all, not I've got myself pulled up by my own bootstraps, but rather, Lord, I need you. I can't do it without you. I'm going to persevere to the end, Lord, but only by your help because I can't do it without you. The victory is yours, Lord, and yours is the glory and the honor. We've got to be humble. Number three, 1 John 5, 4 says, Everyone born of God, everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we come full circle back to the first one of this message, and that was that we have to respond with faith to every problem, every dilemma, every emergency. If we don't respond in faith, we're going to respond in fear and feelings and cowardice and worldly ways and selfishness. We've got to respond in faith, which will bring the victory of overcoming the world. General Dwight Eisenhower said, There are no victories at discount prices. But Christ already paid the price. All of it. And so when we talk about prayer in the coming weeks, that's just an extension of getting the victory. Lord, would you get the victory? Would you get the honor? Would you get the praise? Would you get the glory? Lord, would you help me to know how to live in an eternal perspective right now in how I react to this person, this situation, this frustration? I love what D.L. Moody said one time. <clears throat> he got Christians all gathered together. And he, he had a container, and in the container, then he had um, a, a bunch of, of water. And he said, what do we do? What do we do to get this water out? And somebody talked about the fact that, that they, could, they could suck it up with a vacuum. Someone else said that they could, they could uh, pour it out. And, and someone else said, well, you could put the big rocks in there. And basically, the whole perspective of it was that he said, look, if you want this container to be filled with this substance, you've got to empty it of what it's got so that it can be filled with what it doesn't have. If we want to have victory, we've got to be emptied of defeat and we've got to be emptied of our martyr syndrome, woe is me. We've got to be emptied of all of these self-defeating 
self-prophecies uh, of doom. We've got to empty ourselves of all of that and we say, God, we need your victory in us, your spirit in us, your overcoming power in us so that we respond to the situations with faith and with thanksgiving and with praise and with honor and with glory so that you'll get the victory through me. Dear Jesus, we come to you today. And we pray, Lord, that we would get the victory. Not on our terms and not for our temporary pleasure, but Lord, for your glory and on your holy, righteous, perfect terms, Lord, so that, Lord, the enemies of the cross, the the enemies, Lord, of your glory, the enemies of your name would be made a footstool for your feet. And that those who align themselves with your purposes, with your spirit and your goodness would be united together with you both now and forever. Jesus, I pray that everyone here in this room would recognize that they can have victory in Jesus through prayer and believing. Lord, help us as we go throughout this week that we wouldn't try to just make it by the skin of our teeth, but rather we would look to you and say, Lord, help us to soar with wings as eagles. Help us to run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Help us to rise above, Lord, so that glory would come to you. Help us to act in a way that is holy and pleasing to you and deliver us, Lord, from the traps around us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.